The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, I'm Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. You have consent. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, please, pretty please, go ahead and knock that out while you're here. Today, I'm excited to tell you, we're continuing our conference previews for the 2022-23 college basketball season we started with the american now we're focusing on the acc where north carolina is the favorite after making the title game of the 2022 ncaa tournament dead leg no argument from you i assume north carolina clear favorite in the acc clear favorite in the acc and that's a top two storyline in fact uh we're gonna almost certainly if the schedules do allow um we are going to do the remainder of our conference previews after this week's live on YouTube. We had a scheduling crunch this week that's actually prohibiting it. So full transparency for our viewers and listeners, we are actually pre-taping this. Our own Kanata Edwards will be at ACC Media Day. Nada, I believe the day this ACC preview is running. Do I, ha- do I have that right here? We're taping on Tuesday. Is this going to go up on Wednesday, my man? Yes, this is actually going up when I'm supposed to be there and talking to Armando Baycott and others. How dare you not say Leaky Black? Others. Others. How dare you? How dare you? Now say hi to Leaky for us. Um, so anyway, I say that to say uh, we're going this alphabetically uh, as it goes down. And the way the calendar came, it's just uh, it's a bit of a bummer that we are doing this literally the day before ACC Media Day. But I'm going to go ahead and lean on the likelihood that there's not going to be Anything that comes out of ACC Media Day that's going to be relevant enough to have mentioned on this podcast. But yes, UNC, the favorites. Here are my storylines going into the year. I would actually say John Shire taking over in Durham is is storyline number one. How does it go? He has the best freshman class in the country. New vibes in Durham. Um, Shashevsky will still be around. I'm actually going to, I'll ask you right now. I had this uh, for when we got to Duke, but real quick, over under, just just for fun, because Kay said, He's not going to be going to every game. So I put the over-under Mike Krzyzewski in Cameron Indoor for a Duke home game at 4.5 games. Over or under, GP? Over. I'm going to go under. I'll take him for his word. I'll say he's not around a ton, but you'll say over. Okay. Keep it Roy, down. Roy Williams was at at least five I know. games I, for every team in the country last season. Hey, ain't Roy, though. I think he's going to intentionally go. I think he's going to zag. 
but I don't know. We'll see. Well, to one, me that- point, one point um, Kay did make that I think perhaps leans your direction is he was like, you know, they don't have luxury boxes in Cameron Indoor. It's not like I can just like sit right. in a suite away from, you know, the masses. And that, that being that- said, he can literally sit in any seat he wants to, including Shires. So that there's that's true, but there is no seat he can't sit in that he wants to sit in. in well, that John room. Wooden for years had a seat inside Poly Pavilion, and it was like it wasn't on the front row. It was, it was like, like eighth row or something. On yeah, the it was like something I can I can picture it right now, where the second greatest coach in UCLA history used to sit after he retired. And you just look over there and it's just like, oh, there's Coach Wooden sitting there. And he had his own little parking spot right at the parking garage. I remember one time I was out in L.A. going to UCLA game, and it was announced because they would like announce it. Like Coach Wooden is not expected to attend tonight's game for, you know, health reasons or he's just, you know, he's getting caught up on a Netflix series, whatever, whatever, whatever he was up to. That was actually ever a reason, but yeah. No, I think one time he he, he missed – uh, I, I'm going to have to fact check you. I believe, unfortunately, the, the the great John Wooden passed before Netflix streaming was actually an available option. I don't think that's true. He might he, have been doing Netflix by mail. That is possible. That actually, right. that timeline might might shake out. Yeah, it was like, if I remember correctly, home game against Arizona, and UCLA announced he was going to miss the game because he was trying to wrap up House of, season one of House of Cards. Okay. That's a true story. So I, I remember they announced one time John wouldn't, wouldn't, wasn't going to be there for one reason or another. And then I pulled it in the parking garage and his parking spot was right there. It said uh, reserved for Coach Wooden. And I was like, should I just take it? I know he's not coming. And then I thought better of it. You know, I didn't feel like Tell I just what, thought better of it. You find yourself covering a UCLA home game in the next few years. You won't think about that with Cronin. You'll know better instantly. I know. Better. Although, hmm. although, got to be honest. If anyone can pull it off, it's you. I could just get out and like wave to the parking park, attendant park in that space and get out and be like, "Oh, that's Mick." Yeah. Oh yeah. There's. Yeah. I just you get out. Do that, actually. <laughs> just get out. I should you try to coach UCLA. Yeah. Just try to coach them one game. Just show oh, up. I'd love to see it. Let's have you coach a game for UCLA and get Cronin on here. <laughs> Imagine Mick Cronin's doing off the podcast. Where are we going? This is an ACC preview. Shire takes over. That's the biggest storyline. Number two we'll is start over it. since we're not since we're not live. We can just start no, over. I like no no no. We're not starting over. No no. We won't do it live. Here we go. UNC trying to win it all after making the title game. Obviously, easily the favorite. Um, there weren't like heavy expectations for Hubert in year one, and yet the Boobers were still out by December. How does this group handle all that pressure? Everything with UNC. Obviously, we're going to get to our projections in the standing so we'll touch on duke and unc a little bit more but also a reminder to duke and unc fans listening to this podcast plenty of you already realize this we did standalone episodes dedicated solely to those teams as our summer shoot around series if you have not listened or watched those please go find them we do deep dives on those teams number three i'll say nigel pack nil situation at miami no player how about this gp no player has a dollar figure tied to their college career for now the way pack does when he signed the two-year $800,000 deal, $400,000 a year, we don't know how. We know that Timmy and Oscar Shibway and Hunter Dickinson, we know that they are making a lot and will be making more than that. But even despite that, like that makes more sense because it's more merit-based. Pack was a good player on a terrible team that got famous for being the first poster child of pay-for-play, in, in essence, in college basketball. So I actually think his story in Miami is a, a pretty big one. Two more. Uh, Virginia. 
Dark Horse title champ here in the ACC. Keep an eye. Tony Bennett doesn't stay down for too long after being off the radar for a year plus. Does Virginia push and pack its way back into the national conversation? And then I got to be honest, this is my storyline number five. Another summer shoot-around series we did. It kind of feels like the ACC might be low on storylines, which then again is a storyline to itself. But my fifth one is Kenny Payne in the Ville. Expectations, yes, they're low. DJ Wagner hopes are now fading after he signed an NIL deal with Nike earlier this week. Louisville, of course, in Adidas school. But how does Kenny Payne and Louisville look in year one? So those are my five biggest storylines heading into the ACC season. Well, the DJ Wagner thing is interesting because I don't want to say it's over, but like when you sign an NIL deal with Nike, you're not going to an Adidas school. Kentucky is recruiting you. Yeah. I mean, you're not not going to an Adidas school if you sign an NIL deal with Nike. I'll just... I'll keep it that simple. You're not going to need to school if you sign an NIL deal with Nike. And so I'm assuming at this point, DJ Wagner is going to be uh, a Kentucky Wildcat. And if you combine that development with a really bad first season in, in Louisville, I, I don't know that this is fair, but people will start to ask Kenny Payne questions pretty quickly, won't they? Yeah, I mean, he is a beloved figure at that school, obviously, as an alum. And he will have, I mean, they will, he will have slack as he does deserve it. There's still an IARP case. Oh, by the way, that's coming down the pike and should be next. And I think it actually is going to land in the middle of the season. So it's actually going to be a, mm, could be bumpy and noisy. Uh, we'll see what, because like, my, my, I, all I, of that stuff. I'm not a recruiting analyst, but I don't think recruiting's going that well. Yeah. Give it, I give it. Yeah. Which is somewhat understandable when you consider all the circumstances there but the wagner stuff is where you know louisville is hoping was hoping you know this is this is the recruit can we beat out kentucky for this guy who might you know be the best freshman in america when he gets into college basketball and then that news yeah that's that's certainly a punch to the i can't wait till nigel pack post game Mm. it's like uh and let's sit it down to holly Rowe with nigel pack nigel congrats 18 points six assists and a 16-point victory over Clemson. Um, you, you really were knocking down shots early. He's like, I just like to think Life Wallet yeah. and, my, and my teammates. John Ruiz. For making this possible. Like, will, will Nigel Peck shout out Life Wallet in a mm. post-game interview? It should probably be part of his deal, to be honest with you. If he ever gets a post-game interview on national television with the likes He's going to be like a NASCAR driver. Part. You know how NASCAR drivers are like, I just like to thank my sponsors, Miller Lite. Nigel Pack's gonna be like, I'd like to spot. I'd like to think Nigel. Why wouldn't that become a thing in college basketball, where you start thinking your your advertisers? Wouldn't bother me. Wouldn't bother we'll me. To, we'll get to Miami and where that shakes out. I'm actually interested to see where GP has them in his overall hierarchy. Oh, by the way, if you're listening, GP wrote our ACC preview on CBSSports.com. You can also read that on the CBS Sports app. I guess. Okay. Give it a push for your work, my man. What I appreciate it. How many ACC programs going to make the NCAA tournament? I'll ask Dead Leg that question next. But first, a word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. 
It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. I'd like to thank Paramount Plus for making this possible. Absolutely. Five schools ACC got in the NCAA tournament last season. Trivia time. Can you name all five? All right. Uh, Duke, Carolina, Miami, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech. It's very good. That's exactly what it was. But only five. Right now, Jerry Palm has seven ACC teams projected to make the 2023 NCAA tournament. It is those same five, North Carolina, Duke, Miami, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, plus two more. I'm going to go based off of my standings. So I will say he has Virginia. That's right. And then I'm going to say, according to my projection, I'll say he has Florida State. That's right. It's North Carolina as a one seed, Duke as a three, Virginia as a seven, Miami as an eight, Virginia Tech as an eight, Florida State as an 11, Notre Dame as an 11. So the conference moving back in the right direction. But do you realize um, the ACC finished um, at Ken Palm fifth in conferences last season for the second straight year? Didn't finish lower than fourth in any of the previous seven seasons. And now it's been fifth in two straight seasons with Duke, Louisville, Notre Dame, Miami, all missing the NCAA tournament in 2021. And then Virginia, Florida State, Syracuse, Louisville, all missing the NCAA tournament in 2022. Like Louisville, Virginia, Syracuse have all won national titles in the past 20 years. Them not being good recently um, has been a real drag on the league. It's not as simple as that, but if you if if somebody were to stop you on the street and uh ask you so what's why has the ACC been down because Louisville's been down because Syracuse has been down because Virginia has at least been down relative to what Virginia was each of the past two seasons fifth is a problem i don't know if it'll be as at least for the ACC which is obviously a, tra- a traditional basketball first conference there uh would be shocked if this was a top 2 conference in the country that hasn't happened since 1718 uh, per Ken Palm, I think it could be anywhere from three to five. I don't think it'd be, it'll be as low as six, but I will go if if I set the over under at six point five NCAA tournament bids, I'm going to go under in twenty three for the ACC. Would you go under or over six point five? Would you side with Palm or, or fade that a little bit? I would side with Palm. It's Jerry Palm for crying out loud. How would so, I go against him? Give me. Do you have your one through seven in order? Standings projections. What you think? <laughs> it would be. Uh, North Carolina, Duke, Virginia. Yep. I don't go any further than that. The top twenty-five and one. I could see what I sent in. Um, yes. Why don't you pull up what you sent in, and I'll give you my one through seven while he pull, looks it up. I go UNC, Duke, Virginia. Draw a line. I go Notre Dame four. I'll go Miami five, Florida State six, Virginia Tech seven. Um, I I. I, I I think those are all viable contenders, and then I'll get to the back half uh, in a little bit here. But Virginia has to be a a, a clear three. Uh, Reese Beekman, Jaden Gardner, Kihei Clark, Caden Shedrick, 
uh, Armand Franklin all back. They get Ben Vanderplas in from Ohio. That's a one through six that I believe will have Virginia wearing home whites until at least the Sweet 16, provided UNC, I mean, UVA can win a couple of games in the NCAAs. Um, Virginia lost no one of note. So if Beekman can jump to an all ACC first team level kind of guy, Kihei Clark kind of is what he is at this stage of his career. And that is a good thing specifically like for Virginia, he fits his role in Bennett's system and will be vital this season. I'm not even convinced I'd have Virginia third in this tier. If Kihei Clark wasn't on the roster, I think he's that important to the actual overall team there. Uh, Shedrick should be a, a bit of a, more of a breakout on the defensive end. Jaden Gardner was a stat monster at ECU. Maybe he grows a little bit more. So to me, it's like Duke and Carolina, in Virginia, all in the same group. If you wanted to separate Carolina from Duke and Virginia, I'd actually buy that there. So um, UNC Duke, UVA, Notre Dame, Miami, Florida State, Virginia Tech's my one through seven. What would you go one through seven, GP? We got the same seven, just slightly different order. North Carolina, Duke, Virginia three, Miami four, Notre Dame five, Florida State six, Virginia Tech seven. Okay, so we've got Notre Dame and Miami flipped. Uh, why you go Miami four instead of, uh, instead of Notre Dame there? Life wallet. Okay. Aside from the obvious with Life Wallet, they lost uh, Cam Augusti. They lost Charlie Moore, Sam Wardenberg. Those guys combined for well over 30 points. Uh, so they depart, which made me pause just a little bit there. Um, what but you bring, you bring back Isaiah Wong and you add Nigel Pack. That's pretty good. Now, they're not very big. Um, that could be a problem in a league with Armando Baycott and Derek Lively. But, you know, I, I like the guards and Larry is great. They lose Chris Caputo, too. They do. New head coach at George Washington. Yes. yes. And I, I don't think that type of thing impacts this team, but you do wonder because Caputo is, you know, a hustler, like, you know, a recruiter. Does that have a, an impact on Miami's program going forward? I think there's a chance. I mean, this is like we're way inside the sport here, but Caputo is a long time assistant for Laranega, uh, was part of the George Mason Final Four team and all that good stuff. And he, it had a significant impact on the success of that program right there alongside Laranaga. So that's something to keep in mind there. Isaiah Wong is back, by the way, just a reminder. Uh, After really, threatening to go into the drain. Uh, and it really is an indication of like how long the college basketball offseason was. GP, that was like the second or third week of the offseason. He tried to publicly leverage his NIL situation. How <laughs> successfully that actually was, I guess, is up for debate. Uh, but, you know, Nigel Pack actually is the one who induced Wong's ploy. Um, and then John Reese, Miami's rich booster behind all this stuff, said I he signed the NIL deal. I don't I don't renegotiate. And, and then can apparently you, I don't know. Yeah, no, it was why. Yeah. Can you imagine 30 years ago? It'd be like, yeah, so uh this Miami booster went out and bought a Kansas State player, and then Miami's leading returning score was like, hold up, that guy got more money than me. I'm going to go public. If I don't get at least that much money, I will enter the transfer portal. We'd be like, what? What sport are you talking about again? <laughs> I'm all, I'm here, by the way. I love it. I'm I'm here for it. I'm am, am here for it. Give me uh give me stuff to talk about. Give me interesting things and wrinkles and and players making noise there. Uh, another name to know is Norchad Omir, who was an Arkansas State transfer, like top two player in the Sun Belt. Uh, he is a key name to know and will be expected to be one of those up transfers that really can make an immediate impact. I'm just going to like I'm just I, I think Miami's going to make the tournament. Uh, they're coming off that stunning Elite Eight run. Um, the team doesn't appear to be deep, which is why I put them at five and I put Notre Dame at four. Uh, and I also think this is kind of state of the ACC. Like I look at a team like Miami and I'm like, this is my number five team. It's your number four team. 
I get skeptical the league will be any deeper than six. Real quick on Notre Dame, since we've got them four or five, I get the sense Mike Bray knows he's got his best team in at least a half decade. Uh, I think it's definitely a deeper team than Miami, um, even slightly. Uh, maybe Bray winds up tightening up the roster, as so many coaches do, by uh, by the by the start of February. But I like this starting five. Nate Lashevsky, Dane Goodwin, Cormac Ryan, Marcus Hammond, J.J. Starling. J.J. Starling is another good freshman coming in. You're a five-star player. Five-star player. Uh, they just lost Blake Wesley, a top twenty-five pick, and it's 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 Bray has managed to uh, live up to his mantra, which is get old, stay old. He's done that again while losing a first-round NBA pick that was a one-and-doneer, and now having another five-star guy coming in. I mentioned Hammond; he was an eighteen-point-a-game guy at Niagara, so we'll see. But Lashevsky's a vet who's gotten better. Goodwin is a veteran wing. I think he's one of six super seniors on the roster there, so. I will lean. I I feel like there's slightly more reliability with Notre Dame, but having said that, I still think there's a gap between Virginia at three, and we got Notre Dame and Miami four five. However, you want to shake it out uh, before we get to the uh, the bubble teams there. Yeah, you know Notre Dame went fifteen and five in the ACC last season, and they bring uh, back three of the top five scores and add a five star guard to that. Like that's a pr- that's pretty good. And so, um, yeah, you know I I. I, I think Mike's going to go to back-to-back NCAA uh, tournaments here. Uh, the interesting one is, is Florida State for me. And, and we're going to pop right back up to Duke, North Carolina in just a second, I promise. Yeah. But Florida State, um, you look at the roster and you go, okay, bring back Cameron Mills. Um, you know, Matthew Cleveland was a five-star in 2021. Back. Uh, Jalen Warley was a top 50 guy. He's back. Some real talent. But they were terrible last season. You know, they were 20th in the preseason AP poll. They finished 105th at Kimpom, went 17 and 14. Um, now, some of this was injury related. Like they played 31 games, and Cameron Mills only played 26. Cleveland only played 29. Malik Osborne only played 17. Three of the top four scorers um, missed at least five games last season. So perhaps that's the best explanation. They were just never healthy. But you're. If you've got Florida State in the top 25 preseason, and, and some people do, and I thought about it, um, you are asking a bunch of guys who lost a lot last season to 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 now win a lot. And I'm not saying they can't do it. Um, I mean, I've got Florida State projected as an NCAA tournament team, but um, that's not a normal thing in college basketball. You, you, I guess you're you're still believing in the talent and just trusting Leonard Hamilton, Stan Jones, the talent. And if it's healthy, they'll be good. I guess that's where you're at. But you're asking a bunch of guys that lost a bunch to to win a lot. And again, that's not a normal thing in college basketball. Cleveland could be an NBA player. Uh, they've got this 6'11 Spanish freshman, Baba Miller, who will compete with 7'4 Nahima Cleod for minutes in the middle. Um, they've got a guy named Jalen Ganey who transferred from Brown. Could be a classic 10-point-a-game Florida State Seminole. Like so many everybody, average, everybody averages somewhere between 8 and 11 points at Incredible. I, so I just I'm I'm leaning with uh, with Hamilton there, and then real quick on Virginia Tech before we scoot up to uh to the favorites there, uh, Storm Murphy, uh, Kevin Luma, uh, Nahima Lima are, are all gone. Justin Mutz is back. That's big. Hunter Couture is back. Sean Padula are back, and then they've got Grant Basili, who was a do it all stretch big from Wright State. Uh, again, we've got a lot of these transfers at the power conference level this season that put up big numbers in, at a mid-major, and some of them will hit and some of them won't. I don't know if Basili will or will not, but he does add another dimension. I actually do like what he does 
for Mike Young's system. Virginia Tech, for me, is, is in the 4-8 to eight range in the ACC. I'd be surprised if they were third or better, and I'd be really surprised if they were ninth or worst. Uh, to me, they are they're sitting right there. Uh, flirt with getting in the tournament or maybe being a one, two, three seed in the uh, in the NIT. Uh, and I also wonder, you know, the state of the program there, will it be a flash in the pan last season? You know, they got real hot at the end. They played well. They, they ended Carolina's run in the ACC tournament. I was right there to watch uh, Mike Young pull it off, and they, they had a great run. Um, but can it find s- some sustainability in the upper half of this league this season, next season, season after, because uh, Mike Young runs uh, some different stuff from a lot of other coaches in the league. So we do have the same seven, just in a slightly different order. We are in agreement that Carolina is one and then Duke is two. Uh, vamp away on them as, as you please. I will just say that going in to reiterate what I almost certain mentioned on the on the Duke shootaround series episode. I'm just going to they've got a lot of talent and there's a lot of interesting stuff that's going to emanate from there. And I can't wait to watch Duke play. Uh, the talent's absurd. Uh, I'm gonna. F- I'm just gonna cautiously fade them. Big picture, like I'm not gonna have Duke in my preseason top ten rankings. I, I will. I will. I will need to see it. It's Shire's first season as a head coach. There's so many new pieces. Jeremy Roach is a key piece back. I think he's the lone captain. I think I saw Duke recently announced there. So to me, there's actually. A, I think Duke is closer to Virginia than Duke is close to North Carolina heading into this season. I don't love how young they are. But they are super talented. I mean, three of the top four prospects in the class of 2022 um, are enrolled at, at, at Duke right now. But and that that's for people who maybe don't follow it. It's Derek Lively, Derek Whitehead, and Kyle Filipowski. Derek Whitehead uh, off season slash preseason injury. Yeah. So his availability when he'll be ready is unclear. Second straight year, Duke's dealing with this with a uh, five star guy. Um, a, a preseason injury that that lingers into the the regular season. You know, bring back Jeremy Roach. I like that. Get Jacob Grandison, a transfer from Illinois, who started for the Illini and shot forty one percent from three. So you've got a a guy who can create some space for for these bigs, but they're really young. And with a first year head coach, I, I, I'm high on him. I've got him five in the top twenty five and one. But if you were to ask me. Which preseason top five team are you most worried about being wrong on? It, it it would have to be Duke, and I and and I want to be clear. It's not because K's gone, Shire's in. It's just because they're going to be relying on a lot of eighteen year olds in a sport where people are trying to get old, and in a league where the favorite is really old. That's right. And remember, if you want all the Duke content you could ever ask for. Some of it. That's in our summer summer shoot around series. As for Carolina, uh, I haven't fully decided on the number one team. I'm I'm like kind of debating internally right now. Um, but Carolina, what are the options for you? North Carolina, Gonzaga, Houston. Do you consider anybody else? Kentucky. Uh, I yes, those are the four. I'm yeah. actually I'm also considering Kentucky. I was actually uh, literally last night looking through it. Um, those are the four that I'm trying to debate between because I you know uh, I don't know just trying to come to the 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 team that I think has the best chance at being the best team for the majority of the season and win the title there. So Carolina, you know, they 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 replace Brady Manic with Pete Nance, which is obviously huge. And yeah, I do want to see how they handle the pressure. Uh, I do want to see if Caleb Love, like with a lot, Armando Baycott, rightfully so, is going to be considered the preseason player of the year. That's what you know when 
not when that gets announced uh, at ACC Media Day, Armando Bacot's going to be that guy. I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility that Caleb Love actually wants to be UNC's best player there. And and I will even go uh, and uh, circle back to what I said previously on the UNC summer shoot-around episode. I've seen R.J. Davis be Carolina's most important player by far for like six, seven, eight-minute stretches in games. So there could be nights when it when it's him as well there. Um, Puff Johnson, he'll have an increased role. There's a lot to like about this Carolina team. I just want to see how this veteran group returning handles the amount of expectation and pressure on them. It's going to be a big jump from a season ago, and they did not get off to the most inspiring of starts last November and December, but they have to objectively be picked first heading into the season. The Caleb Love thing is interesting because where Carolina flipped it last season at least was in part connected to moving him off the ball and playing with a primary point guard and letting Caleb Love just, hey, go score. And they started winning, and they made it all the way to the title game. And so nobody had a problem with him taking 24 shots or 20 shots, but he was taking 24 shots. He took 24 shots in the title game. He took 20 in the final four. He took 17 in the elite eight. He took 24 in the sweet 16. And though he was fairly efficient against UCLA, um, you know, he was five of 24 against Kansas. And so the, the, when you're looking at teams like this, I think if you start trying to identify possible problems, it's like, you've got the preseason ACC player of the year on your roster in Baycott. And you got another guy who is might want to shoot 24 shots and might miss 19 of them. And like, does that create a dynamic there that can, you know, cut. I think they're going to be good. I, I I think this is one of those teams that if they play to their potential, they could be the best team in the country. If they underachieve, still a top 20 team. I, I think they'd like, they're, they're going to be a top 20 team no matter what. Um, but if, if they're closer to 20, if we look up in February and they're closer to 20 than they are one, I, I bet you it's what well, obviously injury stuff or it's some sort of, they can't quite figure out how they want to play. Do you want to play through the ACC player of the year or do you want Caleb Love taking 24 shots? Yeah, or you just hope that Armando Baycott, who went six double-doubles in a row in the tournament, uh, can can clean up some of that mess. And, and, maybe, and maybe that's an evidence it. Maybe that's evidence that both things can, can yeah. be great. Like, Caleb Love can take 20 shots and Armando Baycott can still be an, you know a first-team All-American. Maybe both those things can exist at the same time. And there's also the potential for, I'm going to mention him right here, of course, our guy, Lockdown Leaky here, uh, top 10 defender in the country. His his stat line from last season was 4.9 points, 4.8 rebounds, 2.7 assists. Um, you can't on, measure Leaky Black with a box score. You, you truly, no, but you legitimately cannot. Uh, but those numbers will improve. And he really could be the piece that kind of that kind of keeps them all together. Um, all right, back end of the ACC here, GP. I've got, well, how about you? You 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 saw your uh, you checked in on your your list. So why don't you uh, roll us through eight through fifteen? What do you got there? Well, um, at eight, I've got Wake Forest, nine Syracuse, ten NC State, eleven Clemson, twelve Pitt, thirteen Boston College, fourteen Louisville, and fifteen Georgia Tech. Out of all of that, mm-hmm. um, you know, Wake just loses so much. They lose Alondis Williams, Jake Laravia. And those guys combined to average 33 points a game last season. 33 points, 13 rebounds, nine assists per game. Like, that's a lot to lose. 
Um, and yet you put a mate. We don't have it, one team in the same spot in the back end, by the way. Eight through 15, we don't have one team. I don't I think you can shuffle a lot of these. Where do you have, what did you say you had Q's? At nine. That's the only at, one. I have Q's at nine. And yeah. that, that, that's going to be an interesting thing this season. Like Jim, Jim's 77 years old, Jim Beheim. He's about, he'll turn 78 next month. Yeah. And though he has had some nice NCAA tournament runs in recent years, uh, Syracuse hasn't finished better than tied for six in the ACC in the past eight seasons. Syracuse's ACC record the past five seasons, 46 and 46. Buddy's gone. Jimmy's gone. Um, you know, like, I, I, somebody tweeted that they asked Jim Beheim recently about retirement, and he said it's, you know, it's getting close. But that program is not, that program is not operating for a pretty significant amount of time consistently at the level at which it operated for much of my life and much of Jim's career. And I imagine that that must like, like I wonder where Syracuse fans are with all this, like love, appreciate Jim Beheim for everything he's been to that school. But again, I'll just, these are facts. Hadn't finished better than tied for six in the ACC in any of the past eight seasons and is playing 500 basketball in the ACC over the past five years. That's not Syracuse is a big national brand. And those aren't stats connected that should be connected to big time national brands. Here's another fact for you. Syracuse is coming off the first losing season of Jim Beheim's career. He had never finished sub 500 ever at Syracuse until this past season there. So history would suggest that that pattern is not going to repeat itself, but he's also 77 going on 78. There's a freshman Judah Mintz who'll have the ball in his hands, a uh, lead guard there uh, might split time running the offense with Joe Girard. Girard's kind of better off the ball. Uh, and then they got a good big combo of Jesse Edwards and Benny Williams. I put him at nine. I don't know. I've got NC state at eight. These coaching regimes, GP sometimes move with a blur. Kevin Keats is already in year six in Raleigh. That's, that's kind of mind blowing to me that this is already his sixth season there. Um, NC state's going to benefit from the fact that, it got Terquavian Smith back, and he would have been an NBA pick had he decided to to leave. He did not. He came back. Now, had Darion Sebron returned to NC State, then I think you've got like a top six situation there. Sebron's not there. He's gone. They've got DJ Burns from Winthrop. He's kind of Winthrop. He's kind of a sneaky good transfer. This is a team that went eleven and twenty-one. So me putting them eight is actually a little bit aggressive. I get that, but to to touch on what GP said. Man, this is a this is a murky soup of programs right now. I don't know. I think NC State can be a bit of a spoiler. It ranked 11th in turnover percentage nationally last season, which is obviously extremely good. If it can keep that up, then maybe it can be a, a mover and a shaker. Where do you have the Wolfpack? I've got NC State at 10. 10. Okay, I've got Boston College at 10. Biggest stock riders in the ACC. This is a bit of a dart throw, admittedly, but they bring back... Um, the Langford brothers, Makai Ashton Langford and Tamar Langford, uh, Jaden Zachary's back. Four starters in total are returning. Someone's going to warm their way up in these standings. I don't know who it's going to be. I just kind of, <laughs> I guess I kind of just feel this one in my bones. I'm also mildly invested in this and the fact that I've gone to two Boston College games in the past 12 years, despite living less than three hours from Conti Forum. They're just almost never worth going up and seeing I don't think they're going to be a tournament team. They might even struggle to be an NIT team, but I'm just, that's my, that's my dart throw. You had wake at eight. I've got him at 12 behind Clemson real quick on these two. Um, Brad Brownell is 
on the hot seat. My my understanding is it's he's been on the hot seat for it feels I, like it is my understanding it's NCAA tournament or bust. There, I I get that. How about this? Year thirteen for Brad. He is the winningest and longest tenured coach in Clemson basketball history. Were you aware of that? I was not. No one has he like before. I think the other longest tenured one was like nine or ten years. So he's comfortably the longest tenured in the history of the program. What did and our man OP do? He was there like six seasons. It felt like sixteen, but it was only like six. Oliver Purnell. Oliver Purnell Parish. Um, a lot of it falls on the return of six ten PJ Hall, who averaged fifteen and a half points last season before uh, injuring his knee in the offseason there. So I've got Clemson eleven. I, Wake. I mean, they, I, they lost Jake LaRavia to the NBA, and Steve Forbes did not think that was going to happen. So they lost him. Alondis Williams became the best player in the ACC. Uh, it's, I don't know, Forbes does love projects. This is the third straight season he's got a project, though. I'm, I'm going to fade them. Uh, I'm going to fade them a little bit. They got Florida transfer Tyree Appleby there. That's that's 12. Uh, is going to mess around and be in the Grizzlies opening night rotation. Is he? I mean, that's that's not to say he doesn't deserve it, but like, I don't know if there's a more surprising player in that regard. I mean, Jalen Williams from Santa Clara went from WCC, like top five to 10 player to literally being a lottery pick. So I guess Jalen Williams is more, but LaRavia came from Indiana state. Wasn't even the best player on his own team on a team that didn't make the tournament. And now you're saying he's going to get real and be, I mean, great for him. That's an awesome, awesome story, but uh, no doubt Forbes thought that he'd have LaRavia. And if he did, I would have wake, higher than 12. I just have them 12. And, and those are the ones that kill you. Yeah. When, like yes. when you enroll Paulo Bancaro, you know, that's a one year deal. Um, but yeah, when you enroll Jake LaRavia, you don't think you're losing him. So you're not planning. You're not preparing to lose him. Um, I remember a few years ago at Gonzaga, I was talking to Mark few about this. Like they lost Brandon Clark. They recruited Brandon Clark and they were like, okay, he'll be here for a little while. And then he was gone after one year. It's like we, we knew. I don't want to put words. Yeah, in he came mouth. from San Jose State, GP. Like you know, right. he did, where they were recruiting. It's not like he came from Oregon or he came from Kansas, you know, or Missouri or even like a Missouri. It was he came from San Jose State and then turned himself into a top fifteen pick. Yeah, it was like we we knew we were going to lose Rui Hachimura or whatever, yeah. but like we didn't know we were losing Brandon Clark. And what the, the Gonzaga losing Brandon Clark after one year is a lot like. Wake losing Jake Laravia after one year. You 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 had no reason to think that was a likely scenario or even a realistic scenario when you enrolled him, and um and, and so you weren't prepared to to replace him. My final three is Louisville, Georgia Tech, Pitt. I'll do a quick riff and then uh, wrap it up as you please. We did a summer shooter on episode on Louisville because we're sickos. So you can go back and listen to everything that you need to basically there. Georgia Tech, I've got back-to-back 14th place finishes here for the for the Bees. No one on this team that's returning averaged more than eight points a season ago. This is past their seventh season with Georgia Tech. You talk about time flying. Like This is his seventh season in mm-hmm. Atlanta. What? He's already in year seven? Uh, I don't know. The roster is basically monotonous and anonymous at this point. It's one big shoulder shrug for me. And then I've got Pitt last, and I'm not happy about it. Uh, I, I, you know, Jeff Capel is a good coach. Pitt is a program that is uh, seemingly regretting parting ways with Jamie Dixon more and more as the years go on. This was an automatic in the tournament every year program. I know the Pitt fans listening to this are so sick of this talking point, but I'm sorry when your program is literally irrelevant in your own conference, let alone nationally. And the last time it wasn't was when your former coach was there. And then there was this unceremonious parting of the ways. And then you look up and Oh, hello, Jamie Dixon's going to have TCU 
as a top 15, 20 level team, TCU, then yeah, we're going to have to harp on it. Dior Johnson, the team's top ranked freshman, currently suspended from the team after he was charged in the past week uh, on charges of strangulation, false imprisonment, aggravated assault, and unlawful restraint. We don't even know if he will play, and his current situation is way bigger than basketball anyway. Uh, according to a local report, Johnson is accused of assaulting a woman for police on September 5th and in the morning of September 6th in an apartment. Uh, terrible situation there. And, uh, and we, he's, you know, Pittsburgh hasn't commented much more on that. Uh, Pitt's just a hodgepodge of transfers, new faces. I don't know if Capel will stick around another season if Pitt can't finish, say, above 11th in the ACC. Uh, that already feels like fait accompli. So I begrudgingly put this team last. But frankly, uh, Wake, Louisville, Georgia Tech, and Pitt are are the four that uh, that I have kind of in the running to be at the bottom of the cellar. The Dior Johnson thing is really ugly. You know, from the incident report, you know, you hear the charges, and it's like, okay, that doesn't sound good. But like, let's what what allegedly happened, and it's like, slapped allegedly slapped a woman after she got his phone wet, then took her phone, left at midnight, and then returned four hours later. They start fighting again. Verbal verbal argument escalates, and he allegedly repeatedly punched her in her arms, stomach, and head, causing her to throw up twice. If any of that's true, he's not playing at Pitt, it, yeah. nor should he. Let's be clear. No, he, yeah. And so that makes year five for Jeff even more difficult than it was already going to be. Um, this is one where I thought it would work. And I, I guess thought it, like, I thought it would work. I, I don't I didn't think that like he's going to have pit like going to sweet 16s two out of three years. I just thought it would work. And it has. not Right. And it just hasn't worked. I mean, we we both like Jeff and, and got a lot of respect for him, but it's not it hasn't gone well. 14th, 13th, 12th, 11th. Those are the four finishes in the ACC standings. It reminds me a little bit, not quite apples to apples, but, you know, Ben Howland at Mississippi State. Like I thought Ben Howland would just it's Ben Howland. Like I thought he would just he went anywhere. And it just, he never really got it off the ground. And, you know, Jeff had wanted Oklahoma. He did. He wanted Oklahoma. And then, you know, he recruited like crazy at Duke. And I, I just assumed he would be able to, you know, and, and it's not like Pitt is a place where nobody's won. Ben won there. Jamie won there. I thought that would work. I'm surprised that it hasn't. All right, let's wrap up with our, uh, our predictions on player of the year, freshman of the year, coach of the year. Who you got? Player of the year, Armando Baycott. Same. North Carolina freshman of the year, Derek Lively at Duke. You just got to pick one of the Duke guys, and he's the highest ranked of the of the of the recruiting class. And then coach of the year, we do we do coach of the year? Yeah, we yeah we do. Coach this of one's the year. tough. I'm interested to hear who you got. I went John Shire, just because if I think Duke lives up to expectations, the coach of the year should be a guy who's in his first year replacing a legend who secured the number one recruiting class in America and then won with it. That's coach of the year stuff. So I'm betting on Duke to be good. And if Duke's good, I think John Shire should be coach of the year. Armando Baycott could be the national player of the year. So obviously he has to be player of the year pick here in the ACC. But again, uh, maybe Caleb Love, uh, we're talking about him in the middle of December and he's just putting up insane numbers. And it's like, <laughs> who knows? But Baycott's the pick. I also have Lively as the freshman of the year. Yeah, you pretty much got to go with one of the Duke guys. And because of how good Lively is defensively, his two-way capability, uh, I'm going to lean on him. But uh, 
Duke has like three guys between Filipowski, Whitehead, if he's healthy and lively, that'll all be in that conversation. And I went with Hubert Davis for coach of the year. It's fine. Only because, and kind of leaning on your uh, philosophy with this one, uh, the amount of pressure on Carolina, um, I, I, and if and if he were to, and like I'm going to predict Carolina to finish first. If he does that, and he can maintain that high level, then uh, I would give it to him. But I tell you what, if UNC and Duke finish tied for first at the end of the year in the league standings, I would give it to Shire. First year coach, freshman, uh, you know, a, a tougher situation to inherit. I think in that situation, I would give it to Shire. But my what I'm going to put on the table here is that Carolina wins the ACC by at least three games. So I'm going to take Hubert to win coach of the year. That's fine. Like if Hubert, you know, if Hubert takes North Carolina to a one seed, I won't hold him to like be number one in the country, but like get a one seed. Yeah. ACC champs. Um, unless Duke's right there with them, then yes, I'm going to reward the guy who um, obviously closed strong last season and then brought most of those guys back and, and did it again. It's not easy to just bring a bunch of guys back and be what you're supposed to be. Um, you know, UCLA got talked about a lot last season. Like UCLA was good last season, but UCLA was not as great as what the preseason numbers would have would have suggested. Um, and so, like, this will be challenging for Hubert, but boy, he's got a lot of nice pieces to, to start with, and um, I, I suspect they'll be really good. And, and if they are, then he should be acknowledged accordingly. We getting out of here? Shouts. To Devin Townie. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Hawk Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening to the Allen College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Five stars, nice review over at Apple. Type some words. There's more of us than there are of them that need to be reflected in the comments. So you go knock that out. If you're still here on YouTube, smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies, and we will talk to you again real soon. Next up, conference previews the Big East. Bye-bye. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.